Okay, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Before we talk about the Holy Spirit, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus to save us. But I also thank you that you didn't just leave it that. That you sent the Holy Spirit to change us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to comfort us, to counsel us, to give us wisdom, to lead us, to speak into our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that right now he is present on earth and right now he is present here in our midst. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to speak to our hearts. We welcome you to speak your thoughts to our thoughts. Holy Spirit, stir up that which needs to be stirred. End that which needs to be ended. Begin that which needs to be begun. And continue that which needs to be continued in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Praise you. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you. I was um, talking this week, uh, just really reflecting on a change that took place in me and the way I uh, approach my times with God. Um, and this was, this was quite a few years ago now, maybe four or five years ago, maybe a little less. Um, and what I found from that is that he has completely revolutionized my relationship with God. So let me explain. Let me try and explain how that is. So, you see, we, if, we, if we're good Christians, we read our Bibles and we pray and we spend some time with God, yeah? Yeah, say yes. Yes, yes say, and feel guilty if you're not doing it, you know. But, you know, that, that's kind of what it is. And, you know, for years I would do that and I would read my Bible and I spend a lot of time studying scripture, a lot of time thinking about scripture, a lot of time praying. And what, what would happen is that the, the, the Lord would show me something or something would get spoken to me and I'd get really excited, which you do, don't you, when God speaks to you. You shouldn't get really excited when God speaks to you. And what would happen was that I'd, I'd think about it and I'd go, that's great, I've learned something new. And all the time I would be filtering that into a series of, principles or thoughts or ideas about how to get the gospel to work for me. And then once I'd I'd kind of got that, how to get the gospel to work for me, it became, now how can I communicate that to faith life or the people that I'm ministering to? How do I communicate that so we get the gospel to work for you? And that's great. that's, That's brilliant. But then God changed all that. And I don't know how he did it, and I don't know when it happened. It just kind of happened. And somewhere along the line, there was this point where I stopped thinking like that. And instead, as I spent time in the Word, and as I prayed, and as I studied, what became the focus was, God, show me your heartbeat. Show me how to get closer to you. Show me how to relate to you. Let me hear your voice. 
Let me hear what you've got to say to me. And it, it became bigger than that. It, it became, God, make it, whatever it is that I need to be a better husband or a better father, show me. Show me. Do the work in my heart that will change me into a better version of you. Living through me, in the way I relate to people, in the way um, the, my love flows, in the way my compassion flows. And as that started to happen, that completely transformed my relationship with God and the depth of that relationship. Um, it was almost like God used to be in the room and I used to talk to him. And it became God was sat right next to me, sharing heart with me. And so it was kind of that that I think is just massively important because I began to realize that that's what used to happen between Jesus and his father. And that's why we were given the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit could show us the things that the Father had revealed. And in showing the things that the Father had revealed, Jesus would be glorified as we lived in the light of that. That, that not only would be we be one with the Spirit in theory or in theology, but we would be one with the Spirit in relationship. Yeah. And so... It's kind of that, that I want to touch on this morning because what my prayer is for me right now is that I get beyond myself to see someone so much greater, so much more wonderful. You know, we've sang it this morning and I didn't set these songs up, but so much more beautiful, so much more amazing than I am, so much more amazing than the, the, the things that go on in this life, so much more amazing than all the stuff that comes at us, all the stuff that gets thrown at us, so that he fills my vision and he fills my heart so that everything else pales into comparison. And that, that's, that's my constant prayer now. That's, that's what I'm about. And, you know, I was sharing again this week that the job, you know, I, the job of a pastor isn't really to build a church or build multiple churches or whatever. The job of a pastor is to connect you to Jesus. And in connecting you to Jesus, help you find all you need from there. Because yeah. often we, 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 we do things and it's almost like an arm's length relationship with God that's done through the church where we come to the church or people in the church for for what we need and for the support we need and the, the, the encouragement we need and that's good but we also we, we, we primarily need to grow and mature into a people who receive what they need from the Holy Spirit because he's the comforter, he's the counsellor, he's the one with all the wisdom, he's the one with all the understanding, he knows the heart of God, he searches the deep things of God, and he's the might and the power that carries out God's will. So the best thing we can do is point each other and guide each other into a deeper relationship with God. Now, does that, does that make sense? 
And we do that by our relationship primarily through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is here on earth. God the Father is in heaven. Right at this moment, Jesus the God and Jesus the man is sat at the right hand of God in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's here. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you another like me. By saying that, he meant another exactly like me, of the same kind, who is my representative because he is fully God and fully like me. So he sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one we, we learn to relate to God by because he's the one here. And so often we bypass him. And in, in this, this, this series, uh, that I don't know how long it's going to go on for. It was one week and it's become two in. It might be three. Is we have to learn to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we are to see that not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, we need to learn how to relate to the spirit. And, and it's that that I kind of want to touch on this morning because I want to talk about the, the personality of the Holy Spirit, who he is. And, and I'm going to do that um, kind of at a basic level. So we're going to try and understand the Holy Spirit a bit better today. Does that make sense? Before we do that, I just want to set you up. Um, I want to set you up with an advert. And it's, a, it's an advert we're going to show on the screen. I'll, 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 I'll tell you it's an advert now so you don't get freaked out at the start. Okay? And there's a point to this, but just watch it. Francis Chan said this, having church without the Holy Spirit is like having a Ferrari with no petrol in the engine. You see, the great thing about a Ferrari is this power. And you can sit in a Ferrari. I've sat in a Ferrari. You, and, and when you sit in a Ferrari, you can smell the leather. <laughs> and you can sit in it. You can savour it. You can enjoy it. You can look at it. And you can, ad, you know, for, for, this is a boy sermon, okay? <laughs> you, can, you can admire the beauty of a Ferrari. 
But how much more incredible if you actually get to drive it? You see, I, I believe that a lot of the time we're like the person that goes and looks at the Ferrari in the showroom and sits in the Ferrari and looks at it and sees what all the dials do and reads the magazines about it and understands all, the, all about the power in the engine and how the power gets to the wheels and how it corners and how it sticks to the road and all that sort of stuff. And what we've done is we've got used in the church to getting out of that Ferrari where all the power is and pushing it down the road with our own strength, with the door open, and help getting a few other people to help us push from the back, when all we had to do was put the petrol in the engine. And that's the nature of what Jesus tells us when he said, you're going to need some power to do this. And I believe that, that we've kind of got ourselves in a mess. Because we don't put the petrol, the power, in the engine. And as a result, we end up pushing this thing of beauty that God created, called the church, down the road with the door open, sweat pouring all over to get it a few hundred yards. It's not that we're going forward. It's just we're not using what we were given because we haven't put the Holy Spirit in the engine. Amen? You see, church can be really human-driven. It can be so human-driven because we are given gifts and talents and great things by God. Because he, he has created these incredible um, beings called his children who he loves. That's you, by the way. And in doing that, We've kind of got this attitude, well, maybe if we just do something, God will feel pleased with us in return for all he's done for us. And he's going, no, what I actually need you to do is I need you to get the Holy Spirit involved so we can see the kingdom. Because without the Holy Spirit involved, what we see is the church as an organization. And interestingly, every parable Jesus tells about the kingdom has the church not as an organization, but as an organism imbued with the power of the Spirit. Something alive, something that, that impacts beyond itself, not by uh, natural organizational means, but by the power of the Holy Spirit by the wisdom of the Spirit, by the understanding of the Spirit, by the very fact that whatever situation you're in, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say right there, right then in that situation. And, you know, so often we worry and we, we think out all these great presentations and great arguments we can have with all the people who don't believe in God and we argue and we argue and we debate and we debate and we play on the enemy's ground. You see, the, the, the ground of the gospel, I don't know if you've thought about this, but all this debate we have is with people who don't believe in God. And we end up debating the existence of God. And we try to prove them that God exists, and they try and say, no, he doesn't. And we think we've got some killer arguments, and they think they've got some killer arguments. 
And all the time we're playing on the enemy's ground. You see, the truth does not debate. The truth is, and it's a person, and he's called Jesus. And you see, the, the, the big issue isn't about the existence of God. The big issue is what are you going to do about the sin in your heart? What's your solution for that if there's no God? So when we debate all around existence and things, we're playing in the wrong ground. The truth is, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people and brings people into the kingdom, not us. Why are we trying to convict people? That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to go where the Holy Spirit tells us to go, say the words he gives us to say when we're there, and leave the rest to him. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not our job to impress the world by looking like the world, to attract the world so that we become like the world. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take what, we, what he gives us to say, to convict the world, to bring the world to the cross so they start to look like Jesus. And there's a big difference between the two. And we need to reorientate ourselves as the body of Christ, I believe. Because I think we've lost that. So, here's my question. It's a, it's a popular word. It's become a popular word in church circles the last 20 years. Driven. It's not a bad word, but it can be a bad word. You know, how many of you know we're not meant to be driven people? Yeah. However, it's good to have a driver when, you don't, when, you, when you're lost, isn't it, in the fog? It's good to have a driver. So the question for the church right now and, and for us is, do we choose to be a people who gather together and are human-driven? Or are we going to be a people that gather together where we have the Holy Spirit as the driver? Where he's in the engine, where he's in the car, where he's filling the engine with the power, and we get to go with him. That's, that's kind of Jesus' picture of what the church was supposed to look like. The Holy Spirit driving, the Holy Spirit providing the power, and us in the passenger seat doing what we, he asks of us when he asks of us. You see, I think it would be a really interesting thing and a completely necessary thing is instead of worrying too much about how we organize the church and grow church and build church, it would be much more fun if we just filled the place with the Holy Spirit and watched things take off. We need to, we need to do that. You see, God didn't save us so we could get on with our lives serving him without him being involved in it. He saved us so we could have a relationship with him. And out of that, he would, he would partner with us to bring others into the kingdom, to change lives, to heal bodies, to deliver people, to set people free, to, to break bondages and all the rest of it. Are you getting this? It's, I know it's a little bit like, well, what, what, what's my response to this? Because, you know, you're talking big picture about what's my response? Your response is you've got to get to know the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Not get to know church. 
not get to know people in church, not get to know about Jesus or about God. You've got to get to know the Holy Spirit. And he'll show you the heart of God. He'll show you the victory of Christ. And then he'll show you how to live in the light of that. So we have to be a people who get to know the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk just three things around who the Holy Spirit is. Here's number one. So write down, number one, under your little thing where it says Mark Sermon, whatever date you put on your notes, number one. First thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he and not an it. Because even when I was, I was thinking about this, because I knew I was going to say this last week, I was you know, like chatting to people after the service last week and deliberately setting up conversations where the Holy Spirit got mentioned. And almost exclusively, people referred to the Holy Spirit in faith life as it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's, he's a he who loves us, cares for us, and he's personally involved in our life. Jesus said he would be sent as a helper. He would be in us and he would be with us and he teaches us to understand the ways of God's heart. Just think about how I said that. He teaches us to understand the ways of God's heart. He's not teaching us formulas so we can get the things that we need. If we understand the ways of God's heart, the things we need automatically follow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things get added onto you. So we need to search and, and seek God's heart. And when we say, when, well, when I say that the Holy Spirit is a person, that means, and I, I could prove this to you, but we'd be here all morning, because I could quote you lots of it. Firstly, the Holy Spirit has an intellect. He's not a dumb force. It's like we are not, we are not in Star Wars territory where we are trying to get the force to be with us. You know, Lord, send your power. Send the force down. Come on, we need more force. No, you need the Holy Spirit and to know the Holy Spirit. Yes. And the Holy Spirit has an intellect and it's the greatest intellect on planet Earth. And it goes way beyond everything we can understand, we know and we can think. And the amazing thing is, he wants to communicate that with us. You know, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says that the wealth of the Gentiles will come into the kingdom. That's wealth of unbelievers will come into the kingdom. And I sometimes think of that, and I'm going like, so where is it? And I'm thinking, it's, well, it's because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Because he provides for everything he wants to do. He's got a mind, he's got emotions, he's got feelings. Here's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit. I can look at every single person in this room, and I'm not going to because it'll take ages, and I'm not looking at Logie because he'll ruin my talk, because <laughs> he'll have something to say. But I could look at every single person in this room, so I'll look at Tim. And I can tell you right now, he knows exactly what's going on inside of you. 
He knows why it is. But more than that, he's felt it. He's weeped. He feels it. He feels what we go through. He feels what we experience. He, he feels all, all the weight of stuff that's thrown at us. And he feels the joy. He feels the excitement when it's going well. And he, he's engaged at an emotional level. There's a... I've gone off my notes, so don't worry about size just at the moment. He's engaged at this level. You see, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but Jesus said... I'm not going to go into a deep theological thing, but just to do a comment. Jesus said this. He said, um, if anybody blasphemes against me, they'll be forgiven. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. Forget all the theology around what that means, but look at it this way. Jesus was saying, I will not let the Holy Spirit get hurt. You can throw what you like at me, but not at the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is tender. He's gentle. He doesn't force himself. There's, there's this incredible power contained in this gentle exterior and interior that, that feels things personally. Now, I'm going to show you this. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this so that we understand the personality that we're dealing with. Because you relate to people on the basis of personality. So I, for instance, will talk to Roger in a particular way, but I'll talk to Olive in a completely different way. Because they're different personalities. And if I'm being sensitive, I'll... I'll be rude about Roger's football team and I'll be rude about his shirts and he'll be rude about my shirts. But I don't do that with Olive. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need to know. I'm not scared. Well, I am, yeah. You're right. <laughs> Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read a verse. Uh, it's verse 30. It's a verse that a lot of you will have heard. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How many of you have heard that verse? Yeah? I've heard that verse hundreds of times, usually quoted at me in a way that tells me somebody is bothered about what somebody else is doing and that they're grieving the Spirit of God. And over the years, we've had all sorts of things. People come up with all sorts of ideas about what grieves the Holy Spirit. And, and we mustn't do this in church, and you mustn't do that, and you mustn't do that, because it grieves the spirit. There was, there was one morning years ago where somebody came up to me, and they told me that the Holy Spirit had left faith life because I'd put the chairs the other way around. <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit was grieved. I, I kid you not, we come up with all these ideas. Here's the thing, what, what we base that on is an Old Testament story of when the Holy Spirit left the temple. The church is not the temple. You are the temple. And this verse says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption of your body. So he ain't going anywhere. 
He ain't leaving any buildings. But he will get hurt. And he will go quiet. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, he goes quiet. That's something we need to know about him. When the Holy Spirit is hurt, he goes quiet. He retreats. He doesn't run, he can't get away, but he hurts. And that helps us understand what it is that grieves the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want the Holy Spirit to be quiet, we want him to be operative in power. Yeah? And that's, that's the thing, you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave a building or a church or a group of people. The Holy Spirit just stops talking and stops acting in power. He's not gone anywhere. But, so what is it that hurts him? Because he's a him. What is it that hurts this person, the Holy Spirit? Let me... That, that word grieve, by the way, it means to cause pain or to inflict emotional pain on a being. That's what it means in its original language, to inflict emotional pain. So what, what this is saying is when, these, when we grieve, we are inflicting emotional pain on the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you get that? You, you can inflict emotional pain on God. Now you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Knowingly. And Paul tells us the conditions that inflict emotional pain on the Holy Spirit. Here's what's really interesting. It is nothing to do with the way the chair's around. <laughs> I, I've learned this now. So you can have the chairs anywhere you want. I don't care. <laughs> As long as you love God and you don't hurt the Holy Spirit. You know, when I'm praying now, my, my number one thing is to get my heart in a place where I don't hurt the Holy Spirit. That's my biggest priority. My biggest priority in prayer is not to get things answered. It's to get me changed so I don't hurt the Holy Spirit. That's my biggest priority in prayer. So what grieves him? Let me read this. So let's go, that was Ephesians 4.30. Let's have a look at what 4.29 says. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is good for building each other up. So that's no pulling down, no having goals at each other, no criticizing and judgmental, and no just like taking like swipes at each other. Only what is good for building each other, what, the, it may impart grace to the hearers. Here's the good thing, when people build you up, it imparts grace to you. What's, what's, what's grace? It's the victory of Christ. When people build you up and, and encourage you and say, go on, get out, you can do it, you, you know, like, this is the great things God sees in you. This is the wonderful things God sees. When you do that, it releases grace. It releases the victory. It releases the power of the cross. And so then we go, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be got rid of by you. And all malice. Because he put that because he forgot it in his first list. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The thing that hurts the Holy Spirit and causes him pain is to the extent we do not love and be tender-hearted and kind towards one another. So if we want the power of God to be manifest more and more fully, we need to set our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to help us deal with those issues in our life. And, and we'd all like to think we haven't got them, wouldn't we? So I know that the only person without any of that in the whole place, in, in my life, is Cheryl. Cheryl, Cheryl's like, she, she's so soft-hearted. She's just like amazing. But even Cheryl would admit she sometimes has a bit of that. And, and we have to be really careful because we can be so careful about what, our, what we think uh, worship needs to be like or church needs to look like or Mark's preaches need to be like or what the, the, the coffee needs to be like and how the church needs to be run and I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't. And we get all excited about that and none of that matters. What matters is how much we care for each other and how tender and kind we are to each other. That's what matters. So the Holy Spirit is really saying, get that rubbish talk out of your life. Get that garbage that comes out of your mouth when you, you just let go out of your life. And then he said, I'm here, I'll help you do it. You see, it's kind of this thought that, you know, I was sharing about how I approach my Bible study in prayer. And it really, um, the word's not challenged. It really kind of rocked me to think, well, I can bring pain to the heart of God when I'm unforgiving, when I'm angry. I can bring pain to the heart of God if I undermine others. I can bring pain to the heart of God when I just stretch the truth about somebody else. You know, all those sort of things. I'm not saying I do any of them. I'm just saying that's the way it is. <laughs> but we all do some of them, don't we? And, and the Holy Spirit's urging us. Why? So that we are more like Christ as we get this out of our life who forgave us when we didn't deserve to be forgiven who died for us when we didn't even want him and 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 had rejected him and then it makes you think kind of much harder doesn't it it makes you think well is there anybody that I need to step out and repair that relationship with? Is there anybody I need to forgive? 
Now, before you all rush out, because I'm sure you, the, there's at least one person for every single one of us, I preached a series early on in the year called Fracture. Before you rush out, go and listen to Fracture, and it'll tell you how to handle it. And some, Because sometimes it's not handleable. You can't always have perfect relationships. And so, but so far as it's down to us, says the scripture, we do what we can. And that's what the Holy Spirit's about. He's, he's, his heart and his, his mind and his emotions and his feelings are tied in to our behavior to each other. So number one conclusion, the Holy Spirit's a he, not a he, an it, and I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to hurt him. Number two, which is a bigger, well, it's not a bigger realisation, it's just different, is, but equally huge, is the Holy Spirit is God. Now, you all know that, don't you? Despite the fact that some people don't think he's God and argue about all this sort of thing. But he is. It's really clear in Scripture. Again, I'm not going to go through all the Scriptures. So, you see, what people do is they go, well, I thought Christianity, there was only one God. And now you're telling me the Holy Spirit's God. So who really is God? And then they're getting all this sort of stuff. And then we, we try and explain about the Trinity. Yeah? We, we come out with some amazing descriptions of the Trinity. Look, Put it this way, God is God. If you could explain God, if you could get your head around God, he wouldn't be God anymore, you would be. So there's going to be some things about God we can't explain. We just have to take it that that's what he tells us. And to try and understand about this idea about the Holy Spirit being God and Jesus being God and, and God the Father being God, we, we kind of analogize, don't we? Have you heard of some of the analogies? Here's, here's, the, here's the one I like. Well, God's an egg. He's like, there's three parts to the egg. There's the shell, there's the yolk, and there's the egg white. I've no idea which bit's which, but one of them's God, one of them's not. And you see, it's all an egg, isn't it? Even though there's three different bits. Yeah? Let me tell you, I mean, I just want you to know this. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, but you just remember this. God is not an egg. You do not need to go to your fridge today and start worshipping the eggs. God is not an egg. Well, perhaps God's a three-legged stool. No, God's not a three-legged stool. And if he was, sitting on him's not advisable. God is not like a stool. There are things we cannot understand. But just because you can't understand something doesn't make it untrue. I'm sure everybody who's been a parent realizes as their children were growing up, there were blindingly obvious things their children failed to understand. It didn't make them untrue. And as parents, we kept telling them, that's the way life is. That's how it works. But they didn't get it. And we're like that. We, we, we don't understand some of the things 
that are nevertheless true. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. The word holy means this, set apart and different. The Holy Spirit is set apart from us and he's different to us and anything we can understand because he's perfectly holy and none of us are. And so what, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that despite the fact we can't understand him and we can't um, get our heads around the fact that he's not an egg, he's not a three-legged steel. And by the way, he's not water, uh, steam and ice either. Yeah, he's not. Because then you've got to work out which is the really cold bit. But I get the steam for the fire on your bit. Okay, I get that. But he's not, he's not any of them. Here's where the Holy Spirit is. Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So... Right there at the very beginning of the Bible, we start, surprisingly, not with God the Father and not with Jesus, but with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. Right at the beginning, the Holy Spirit is there creating. Creating, using his power to create. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. God said, that you don't talk like that, do you? I don't go, let us, Mark said, let us make man in our image. Because I'm not an our. I do, I'm a me. Let us make man in my image. Yeah? Or let us make that burger in the image that I like burgers made. Yeah? In, in Mark's favorite way. No, God is saying, let us make man in our image. So I don't get this, I don't understand this, but it's nevertheless true that all the people in this room have the image of God imprinted on them, and that is the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all three bits. All three parts, all three persons of the Godhead are imprinted in us as believers. And God said this. He said, so how do we get this spirit part of us? Because it's kind of easy, isn't it? You, you know, the, the getting we like a bit, we like Jesus bit. It's easy, isn't it? Because he, he was solid and walked the earth. God the Father, we kind of think he's sort of solid, but he's in heaven. But the Holy Spirit, we haven't a clue whether he's solid or not, have we? So that's a harder one to get, get our head around. But the Holy Spirit is the one on earth who transforms all our flesh and all that garbage and all that stuff that hurts him and all that stuff that gives him pain to be more like Jesus, to be more like the Father and to be more like the Holy Spirit. So how does he do that? Because he's creative, he can do anything. 
He creates in you a new heart. But then he says this. This is one, just one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. That's really interesting, isn't it, for all those people that think we haven't got a trinity. That's a really good verse. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or is there liberty. But we all, say we all. We all. Who's a we all? I all. He's a we all. <laughs> we are. <laughs> You'll get it. Just keep going. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of God. Unveiled face, what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that in the old covenant, the only way you could approach God was by not being able to see, and there was a separation. And Moses had to have a veil over his face because he'd been in God's presence, and the glory shining from Moses was like kind of uh, harmful to everybody else. So he wore a veil till the glory faded. And, and what Paul is saying is, well, it's a bit like that. When you try and approach God on any basis other than grace provided through Christ. If you're trying to approach God on the basis that you're good enough, you can do it, you can try harder, you can sort yourself out, you can make yourself a better person. It's like having something over your face and you're not going to get God. You're not going to relate to You're not going to know him. You're not going to know his heart. So we, we, when, we, when we place ourselves in grace by faith, it, it removes all that from our eyes and we look. And we look as in a mirror the glory of the Lord has been transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Lord, who is spirit. So what are you looking at? You look in that mirror and you see the image of God looking back at you. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is what I look like. This is what God looks like. And this is what your heart's going to look like. The more you look at me, the more your heart's going to look like mine. It's not saying that your spots disappear or you grow hair if you've lost your hair. It's not saying that. It's saying inside, if you look at my heart, you'll get your heart. You'll get transformed. You'll get changed. The way we get changed is to know the heart of God revealed by the Spirit. Now, here's point number three. For those who are doing notes, point number three. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's not out there He's not somebody who turns up if we worship hard enough, do enough Bible study, or pray and shout enough. He's not deaf. And the reason he's not deaf is because he's not out there. He's right here in here. And he can hear it. He can hear everything. But more, more to the point, because he's right here in here, he knows our hearts. He knows we need him. He knows we want him. But he also knows when we neglect him. Let me just prove to you that he's in, in you. 
Romans 8 verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of God, he's not his and doesn't belong to him. So every believer has the spirit of God dwelling in him. If you don't have the spirit of God dwelling in you, you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. That's why Christians are different from non-Christians. So if the defining difference between us is the spirit of God dwelling in us, that's what the world should see is different about us. We are not trying to prove to the world that we are a better person or a hipper or cooler person than they are. We are trying to let them see the one who dwells inside of us. The one who lives in us. I just, you know, I'm, I'm coming to the end now just in case you're thinking like, because I said there was three points, just three points. I'm sticking to it. Determined to do that. But here's the thing. And a lot of people try and overcome sin, try and overcome bondage, try and overcome addictions, try and overcome the messes that they create for themselves. And their motive in doing so can be varied. It can range from, if I do this, God will like me more. If I do this, my family will like me more. If I could sort this out, then I'd get more of my prayers answered. If I could get this out, people would think I was a great Christian. People would like me more. The motive that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change us is that we're hurting him. We're hurting him. And we're hurting others. That's, that's why we don't want sin in our life. Because it hurts the Holy Spirit and it hurts others. Yeah, you want it out of your life because it's destructive. But wanting it out of your life because it's destructive, you've tried that for 20, 30 years and it didn't help. It just was like, yeah, I'm out of it, I'm back here, I'm out, I'm back. You see, here's the, here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, verse that I, I quote a lot. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now that word joined is a, a Greek word, hes, H-E-I-S. And, it, and it's this idea that you, you are so intermingled and intertwined that it can never be separated back out again. Now, I know this isn't a perfect example, and there's like scientific people who know these things. But if I had a, a glass of water here and a, and a bottle of ink here, blue ink, and I poured the blue ink into the water, what happens? I'm swizzling it around, what happens? You've got blue water. But it's now always blue water, isn't it? I know there's mass spectrometers and chromatography paper and all that sort of stuff that you can probably separate out again a bit. I know that. That's the, that's the trouble with visual examples. They're visual examples. But 
the idea is that the, in this, this, that, that would be called Hess, that you, your blue and you, your old new water has got so intermingled, you can't separate it. You can't say where the blue stops and the, the, the water starts, can you? You go like, you don't look at this, this now glass thing with blue water and you go, well, that's a bit of blue and that's a bit of not, oh, no. It's all together. It's blue water. And it's like that. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit and your spirit are so connected, it's like that. Now, here's what he says. Because that's not the whole, the context. You remember, it's really important we look at the context when we look at verse. What's he saying? He's saying, when you, and he's talking of a particular instance, he's saying, don't you know that when you walked, this, this is the, the context he's addressing, when you walked into that room and you took your clothes off and you had sex with the prostitute, don't you know that the Holy Spirit was right there and you made him partake of it? That's what Paul's saying. That's the context of that verse. Because you are one with the Holy Spirit. Inseparable. And he's saying everything you did, when you engaged in that sex, when you, you took that prostitute and you paid money, do you not know you made the Holy Spirit go through that and you hurt him. That's why we want sin out of our life. Because everything we do, we involve the Holy Spirit in it. And we don't want that. That's an extreme example Paul uses. We could apply that to so many things in life. You see, the thing is then not to swing right over and come, oh, I need all these, I need to do all this and that and that and, you know, I need to be, I need to be oh, guilt and shame and all that sort of stuff. That, that doesn't help anybody. What helps is to turn to the Holy Spirit, to look at him, to see his heart and let that change you. Because we don't want to be doing that. Because I, I love God too much to want to be doing that. I love him so much, I want to get it all out of my life. Everything that's about me, that my, where my heart isn't God-shaped, I want it reshaping. And the amazing thing is, the one who is God, the one who created the universe, is right here in me, reshaping me right now. And he's right there in you, reshaping you right now. Uh, that's just incredible, isn't it? And he's doing it because despite the fact he's hurting, his hurt isn't as big as his love. And despite the fact that sometimes 
His heart bleeds. His love is so much stronger and bigger and he's never, ever letting you go. He's never letting you go. You know, we uh, have these verses, don't we? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And it's true. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious. We have the power of God dwelling in us. But what's the big thing is all of that works because despite everything that we do to the contrary, he is not letting us go. Despite everything the world throws at us, he is not letting us go. Despite all all the times we've got crazy ideas and run off at 100 mile an hour in the wrong direction, he's not letting us go. Despite what everything the enemy can throw at us, he's not letting us go. And because of that, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen. Let's just go there. I've got it on my slides, but I've I've got excited now. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Because that's where I'm talking. You, You can see this. It just dawned on me then. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who's going to charge us? Who's going to condemn us? Because it's only God who justifies. God made us right. Who's the one who can come and condemn us? Because Christ died and he's risen and he's seated at right hand of God. And he is standing there for us. So who can separate us from what? The love of Christ. The love of Christ. The love that the Holy Spirit is pouring right now into your heart. And he's saying, in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, in all these things... You are more than conquerors. How? Through him, because he loves you. For I am persuaded beyond all doubt, beyond all things is the meaning of that. I am persuaded. Like, there's nothing you can do that will convince me otherwise. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Let's stand. Because what he's doing is he's speaking right now and he's, he's speaking to each one individually. And he's saying, whatever's happening, 
whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, however up you feel, however down you feel, however pressured you feel, however light you feel, however um, distressed you feel, however joyful you feel, I know because I'm right there. I'm in your heart. I'm feeling it too. And I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. We are going through this to victory. We are going through this the other side. And when we go through this, when we come out the other side, here's what's going to happen. You will look like me more than you ever did before. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be glorious. And we will shine like lights in this, the midst of this dark and perverse generation. And Jesus will be glorified. Amen. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We praise you. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we give you now. We gaze into your face and we give you permission to recreate, to change, to mold our hearts. We're sorry for all the times we have hurt you. When we have let ourselves down and you down by being something different from you made us to be. We let ourselves down. But you've said that that has no power over me. That has no hold on me. And right now, Holy Spirit, I fall into your love. I fall into your heart and ask you to change mine. Amen.